You're listening to the Blissful Hiker Podcast. I'm Allison Young, the solo, female, middle-aged, titanium-reinforced, long-distance backpacker, Blissful Hiker, sharing stories to inspire you to learn to hike your own hike. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting them through Patreon. There's a link in the show notes or at blissfulhiker.com. This past week, I learned that Blissful Hiker has been chosen to be a 2023 artist in residence at the Porcupine Mountains Wilderness. Super excited. This is the first one for Blissful. I did a few as a flutist, but a whole new world, a chance to live in a remote cabin for a couple of weeks, immerse myself in the sounds of this magical place, and create audio narratives. I mean, that's what you're listening to now, personal essays coupled with found sound. So I thought on Blissful Hiker Podcast, I'd take you there as a preview for coming attractions. And also a great comparison of the changes in the soundscape from early fall to early spring when I'll head back. Last week, I fell asleep in the alley coop my tent as the acorns began bombarding me. I was camping right on the edge of the escarpment. The acorns finally back off and let me sleep deeply before I crawl out to watch the sky turn orange. Another tip from Katie, the park interpreter, that the sunrises are particularly special from up here on the escarpment. Feeling confident this will be an easy day of hiking, I crawl back into the tent and fall asleep as the sun slowly filters in the forest, and I realize it's a lot later than I thought it was. Packing up and leaving the escarpment, it's steep down to a walk under a 1,500-foot Cuyahoga Peak, a steep overhanging cliff of eroding talus bright in the sunlight. And I enter my first hemlock forest. The eastern hemlock, or Pouche du Canada, is a long-living pine with gentle and soft-needled branches gracefully fanning away from its giant trunk, shedding tiny pine cones. It's shade-tolerant and water-loving, and they grow easily on slopes, straight up for a hundred feet or so. It feels absolutely primeval in here. The trees clear the floor of most other plants except maidenhair ferns, and it almost looks cultivated, though by the hands of characters from a fairy tale. The light filters differently from the hardwoods, the rays exposed in shafts of dust and mist, I walk on a shelf of land, flat and open. Squirrels chatter, and a red-tailed hawk shrieks above. I'm now inside the Forest Museum at the Porcupine Mountains, among its residents. At the visitor center yesterday, I was told that the wolves living in the Porkies all immigrated here when the park was created, their very existence on the planet on the verge of being eradicated. I leave the talus now and move deeper into the forest. My trees, I call them now, edging towards the trail where I can touch the delicate fringe of their branches. All around me are fallen trees, left mostly where they fell to act as hosts for new life in the form of bugs and fungi. So many fungi in reds and yellows, orange, brown, and white. Gardens spring up and nurse logs sprout infant trees. Soon I reach the Big Carp River, secreted in a blaze of red and yellow leaves. I'm temporarily blinded by diamonds of light on the water, 
as I navigate to a crossing and plunge into its bracing coolness. A golden-crowned kinglet solos in a high coloratura above the burbling water. I move up and down on high banks above the river, the rushing never far from earshot, and I begin seeing backpackers. Most of them are older and carrying far too much. I think it's safe to say that this area here in the Porcupine Mountains is a beginner backpacker's paradise. It's not too hard, but it's still remote and full of surprises, like this wondrous forest and the birds and animals I mostly hear but never see. Trees along the ridge are so uniform they appear planted. And then I come upon the biggest surprise of the day. I meet the Big Carp River and its series of falls. These beautiful cascades fly down shapely rock called porcupine volcanic andesite. There's usually not more than five to ten feet of drop, yet in this intimate setting of pine boughs as curtains, the effect on me is more powerful than Niagara Falls. Silvery cascades of cold, clear water dance beneath ancient hemlock in a wonderland of sound rushing toward Lake Superior. But not before pausing briefly in deep pools where moss clings to the stair-stepping rock in hushed shadow. Shining cloud, big carp, and bathtub falls blend together in a chain of froth, fervent and relentlessly carving the stone to a smooth slide. As if in a trance, I walk on a beach of river-smoothed rocks. The place is all to myself, And I wonder if tonight I'll have a campsite near something as glorious as this. A chickadee swishes at me. Yes-siree, yes-siree, ee-ee-ee-ee. Finally letting go and leaving the river to climb high again, I use my hands on exposed roots to pull myself up and over towards Lake Superior. The Ojibwe named it Gitchigumi, which simply means big water. (laughs) And I can't help but sing Neil Diamond's nonsense lyrics from a song of the same name as I descend to a cabin at the shore, waves lapping at a sandbar of tumbled pebbles. I meet a boardwalk and move down the shore through a muddy swamp of thimbleberry and aspen. Many sights appear right on the stony beach under shapely cedar. Backpackers have been hard at work building windbreaks out of driftwood. I can't imagine staying here during black fly hatch. Every site stands empty except for one at the junction where the occupants hang clothes in every reachable branch. I pass a posse of three generations, the youngest proudly carrying bear spray. In an earnest voice, he tells me, I hope I never have to use it. (laughs) Much space was devoted at the visitor center educating us on black bears, like the fact that there are about 20,000 of them living in the upper peninsula of Michigan alone, and that bears have a sense of smell 2,000 times stronger than our own. As well, the now obvious plea not to feed or approach bears sits right next to a picture from the early days of the park, where a mother and two cubs peer into a car window awaiting a reward. I don't see any trace of bears, and I'm not letting them have my food. The forest continues in hardwoods, turning yellow, then light golden. 
I join the Little Carp River, which also promises a trio of falls, and I'm not disappointed, with traders, explorers, and trappers one after another. Small islands of Copper Harbor conglomerate peek out as if someone dropped a bag of rocks into concrete. Andesite wears into hexagonal and moss-festooned stairs. I'm tired and look for my sight, but I briefly leave the river after a small dammed section where a great blue heron slowly flaps his majestic wings to move out of my way. The hemlock return along with miniature cones and a needle carpet. Three sights appear in a row, and I wonder if it's going to get loud tonight. But no one comes, and I claim a soulful spot near a small falls for the night, eating dinner against a rock as the lemon-yellow leaves brighten in their reflection, charging the air with color so intense it hums. You're listening to the Blissful Hiker podcast. Thanks for joining me this week as I take you back to my fall hike in the Porcupine Mountains in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a magical place that I'll return to as an artist in residence this coming May. It was a magical night, and I'm lulled to sleep by the sound of the Little Carp River. And in the morning, I just lie there watching the sunlight climb slowly up the tree trunks and then break camp and head off into the forest of yellowing aspen. My steps are soft on an Esker Avenue of hemlock. Cedar line this part of the river, and the timbre of the water changes as I walk up the cascades. Red leaves so bright they strain the eyes are scattered along the path. And I march on along a boardwalk crushed by ferns to overlooked falls, a perfect shoot over a block of stone-like teeth so uniform you think he might have worn braces when he was a kid. Back in the forest, maples tower above, their yellow leaves nearly out of sight. The bark peels in large folds that I could lose an arm in. A dark-eyed junco snaps at me, while a quarrel of white-throated sparrows jabber in popcorn staccato. A downy woodpecker gives a high-pitched laugh, answered by the coach's whistle of a golden-crowned kinglet. It's blue on blue here, fringed in kodachrome. Two snakes slither away from my step, but pause to take my measure, lips parted. Lily Pond appears next to another cabin, empty and locked. I stop for water at a beaver dam with its own small falls and sit near dragonflies parked on the wooden steps. It's a short walk now through a magical forest of stained glass color towards another parking lot and hordes of tourists heading up to Summit Peak. Made of volcanic rhyolite, it's the highest point in the park at 1,958 feet, made higher by a wooden lookout. Most of the way is easy on wooden stairs and platform, and it's here that I run into Tawny again. Hey, it's you. She looks well but she tells me she gave up her hike after falling twice on the steep section at the start. Still, she met a young man who snaps our picture, and they both tell me I need to visit Pictured Rocks National Seashore and make sure I take a sunset cruise. I promise them I'll add it to my itinerary and say goodbye as we wish each other luck. And then I climb the tower and look out towards what I've walked. 
All I can see from here is the rocky crag of Cuyahoga Peak and a ring of fiery maples hiding Lake of the Clouds. But it's beautiful and vast all the way to Lake Superior. After I get my picture taken, it's a steep descent to Moore Forest, then another short mile of birds and luminous light before reaching glorious Mirror Lake. Again, I feel fortunate that I talked to Katie, the park interpreter, who dissuaded me from staying here. It's not because it's not splendid, it's beautiful here, but it's crowded. There are three cabins and seven campsites, and all of them are taken. It's a boardwalk now through exploding cattails and loud frogs back into deep woods, where I meet many backpackers preparing for their weekend with heavy packs and slow paces. I snag some water at a muddy stream, which filters to clear, crisp liquid, and then I search out my sight. And I'm lucky. It's absolutely perfect. This site is on a tiny beaver pond and reached by a short spur. It's private and surrounded by a cacophony of animals. And that's when my symphony begins. Squeaky chipmunks, their high pitches interrupted by a low howl of wolf, punctuated by barred owls, and then random cymbal crashes from beaver tails. <laughs> I'm alone, and yet not totally alone. I eat leaning on a rock couch before turning in early and reading late into the night, my animal friends unwilling to let me sleep peacefully until the stars glow bright, reflecting back to the dark velvety sky from still water. As I did the day before and the day before that, I lie in my sweet nest of my tent next to the private beaver pond and watch the sun catch the cardinal red leaves at the shore's edge. Three ducks splash into the water, then cruise silently into its red and yellow middle, tipping over with butts in the air to feed. I didn't get a lot of sleep, but the sleep I did get was delicious. Cool, fresh, as if held tightly in this glorious place's arms. It's a good climb to the top of Government Peak, where two sites await their campers. The view is obscured, but I can just make out the sea of fall color reaching up and over the escarpment to the inland sea of blue. Trap Falls is next, a large triangular spray to a large pool. But what I'm startled by are the rapids that rush along a flat slab of sandstone taking a U-turn into a dark cavernous overhang of rock before slaloming towards a series of leaf-strewn basins. There's something about autumn that touches every sense, reminding me of the brevity of life and its audacious celebration of death. I breathe it in. I take pictures. I touch. I see. I taste. And I listen. There's just one more beaver pond, thick forest, and then I'm back at my car. What a trip. <laughs> I got to the Porcupine Mountains wilderness at the best time, just as the leaves were starting to change and the air was still warm, the sun making everything glow. 
It's not easy to find precisely the right time to visit, but I can't imagine walking through here in rain or slapping away mosquitoes while savoring all those waterfalls. That being said, if it was just a bit warmer, I would have been in those falls and planned a far leisurely time to do so. And maybe that's what will happen when I come back in May. The days will warm up so much that I'll take a dip, or take day hikes in search of sound to collect, or maybe just sit under a tree for hours on end and hear what the forest tells me. I'm so honored to be returning to this magical place, the Porcupine Mountains Wilderness State Park in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, as an artist-in-residence sponsored by the Friends of the Porkies. You'll hear more of my sounds after I visit in May on Blissful Hiker Podcast and on my website, blissfulhiker.com. You can listen to the podcast at the website or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple, I always ask that you leave a review that helps other people discover the podcast. Also, if you'd like to support the show financially as a patron, you can do that on Patreon. Help me get on the trail to collect sounds and to create these stories. There's a link to Patreon in the show notes or at blissfulhiker.com. When you're out... Listen to the outdoors. Take it in in sound. It's an incredible experience to do, to just close your eyes and have that feeling with you that sort of reminds you of everything that you saw. It's a wonderful way to reach into our imagination. And until next time, my friends, kia kaha and happy trails.